Our next conversation also bridges Canada, the UK, and the world. We're very excited to have exploring the future of government and how we can connect modern politics in an era of innovation. I'm pleased to introduce the Member of Parliament for NDG Westmount here in Montreal, Anna Ganey, in conversation with the former Prime Minister of the United Kingdom and Executive Chairman of the Tony Blair Institute for Global Change. Please give a warm welcome to Tony Blair. Thanks very much. Welcome. Bienvenue à Montréal. Merci beaucoup. Je suis ravi d'être ici encore à Montréal. À Montréal. Vie belle et magnifique. <laughs> Je suis d'accord avec vous. Uh, as you know, I'm a newly elected uh, member of parliament representing part of this beautiful island of Montreal. So I'm also very happy to welcome you all to this uh, city and back to global progress um, here in Montreal. There's lots to think about, uh, as usual, at global progress conferences. So, Tony, I think we could start with a little bit about your institute. Obviously, folks in this room are very familiar with your time as prime minister and your engagement globally since then, but the institute was instrumental in helping us deliver this conference today, among other things. So perhaps you could um, give us a little sense of what, what the work is there that you're doing. Yeah, sure. And, and again, thank you very much indeed for, for having me here. Um, so the, the institute was really born out of my time as, as prime minister, because I, I found the hardest thing about government was was getting anything done. And, uh, Great. And, you know, I used to think, but when we, I was brought up in the Labour Party in believing that the, the system was basically a conservative conspiracy. And when I finally got there into number 10 Downing Street, I discovered it really wasn't a conspiracy for either conservative or Labour. It was a conspiracy for inertia, effectively, uh, and a very successful one. So I learned a whole lot of lessons during my time as prime minister. And, you know, one of the ironies of being in government is that you, you know, politics is a weird profession because it's the only profession in the world where you take a really important job and put into it someone with no qualifications at all. <laughs> I mean, my first job was prime minister of the UK, right? It was my first job in politics, proper job as it were. I mean, okay, I'd be leader of the opposition, but this is, you know, your first proper job. And of course, the, the paradox is that you start at your most popular and least capable. And then you end, you know, differently. Uh, <laughs> you know, because by the end of the 10 years, you say, look, guys, I can do this job now. You should really, if we, please, let me just get on with it. Um, so what the Institute is really based on what are the lessons in government? Because people face the same problems all over the world today. So, you know, if you're talking about a cost of living crisis and the, the problems of housing, the problems of migration, I mean, you could go virtually any country in the Western world and it's a similar set of problems. So what we try to do is we work on delivery, right? strategy, policy, delivery, particularly enabled by technology, which we'll come to in a minute, no doubt. The delivery side of it is all about prioritizing, getting the right policy in place, building the right team, and then making sure you implement. And that is a tough thing to do. Mm -hmm. So we have teams of people who go and live and work alongside the leaders uh, in countries, mainly in the developing world, but now in roughly 40 different countries around the world. And, uh, you know, we will, by the end of this year, have almost a thousand people in the Institute. We've got a large policy side as well, because the other thing about politics that I learned is that, you know, one level politics is, is quite crude. 
you know, you've just done your by-election, so you know it's about shaking hands, knocking on doors, you know, coming out with the right slogans. But actually, policy is a tough intellectual business, and getting the right answer is hard. And so we combine these two things, advising governments, and then on the policy side. And the other thing is we work on the agenda for progressive politics, because, you know, the, the challenge for me always with progressive politics is that if you're not careful, you face a choice between policies that are radical but not sensible or sensible but not radical. And on the one hand, you know, the policies that are sensible but not radical, people lack enthusiasm. And the ones that are radical but not sensible tend to result in defeat. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's what we do, but it's, it's all about helping government go leaders with the business of, of, of governing. governing. That's very interesting. So you talk about advising political leadership and you touch a little bit on the role of technology in the work of the Institute. So um, AI is obviously on everyone's mind these days. So when you advise government about the impact of technology um, in these other countries and really around the world, what, what are the politics of that these days? So what was really interesting, if you, we, we did a paper on, on this actually from the Institute, which Ben, who is here uh, earlier today, did for us. There was an analysis of the 19th century industrial revolution and how long it took politics to catch up. And the answer is it took decades. You know, for years and years, the political debates in the, in the UK parliament were just carrying on as if we were still in the 18th century, but actually we were in a century of enormous technological innovation and advance. And we're living through now a 21st century technology revolution, which is every bit as dramatic. And I think the problem is that you've often got the policy makers, people in government and the change makers, the people introducing and developing and inventing the new technologies, and they don't have a big dialogue together. And yet this technology revolution, I think, is going to change everything. And it's entered a new phase just recently mm -hmm. where a whole lot of things have come together in what I would call a kind of rein permanent reinforcement loop of, of innovation and change. And particularly with artificial intelligence, this next iteration of artificial intelligence is completely revolutionary. And in my view, the mission for progressive politics now in the third decade of the 21st century is to understand this revolution, master it and harness it. Mm -hmm. Mitigating its risks because it's general purpose technology it can be used for harm as well as good, but embracing the huge changes that can be made as a result of it. And, you know, I still find when I'm having conversations with people in politics today, they, you know, that you, you will talk about this and then they'll say, yeah, no, that's interesting. Now let's talk about politics. But this is the mission. Right. And it's, it's going to offer enormous opportunities as well as the risks. But the thing that is clear is it's going to happen and it's going to bring about fundamental change. And the question is, can government get its head around that? That's a very good question. Well, it can. <laughs> But it's got, you first of all got to accept that it is a fact yeah. and you need to understand it and master it. So you're optimistic. 
I'm optimistic if we, yeah, because it, I'm optimistic because it can bring enormous advances. Look, it's going to revolutionize healthcare. It can revolutionize education. If you think about government, right, the 19th century state was a, a small state, was a minimalist state. Mm -hmm. Government didn't have a lot of power to do much for people. Then the 20th century saw the, the growth of the, of the modern state, which does a lot, which is takes up 40% of the national income or more of, of most developed countries today. And that state has, has grown in size. It's responsible for public services. It's responsible for welfare systems. But I think it's creaking at the seams, right? It's not, it's not working very well. People are spending more and more. Taxes can be quite high, but we're not really getting the, the results that we require. And this technology revolution offers us the chance for a 21st century state that is strategic, mm -hmm. where you're, you're doing things completely differently as a result of the ability, for example, in your healthcare system to shift from curing disease to preventing it. You know, it, there's a revolution available to you in terms of diagnosis, in terms of genetics, in terms of all the things that, that can allow you to give people the power to control their own health to interact much more easily with the healthcare system. Now, to do that, you know, you need a proper digital infrastructure in a country. You know, personally, I think we most countries will move towards some form of digital identifier mm -hmm. or digital ID. I think that's inevitable that's going to happen. But this is, for good and for bad, this revolution is with us. And, and how we approach it, I think, is, is the biggest challenge for us. Do you see uh, countries leading on this or well-positioned to take advantage of this at this Point yeah. in time, yeah. Um, no, I, I think there are countries that are setting themselves up to do this. This well, actually, sometimes it's often smaller countries. Mm -hmm. You know, probably the most technologically advanced country in Europe in terms of this and government is is the small country of Estonia. Yeah. Um, and then you've got you know other countries. But you you take a large country like India, with its 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 Adar system, its digital ID system has had a transformative effect. Mm -hmm. On, on the ability of citizens to interact with government. So I think, you know, this is, because it, it, it is, the challenge for progressive politics at the moment is when budgets are under pressure, and you know, Mark was just talking about the fiscal discipline and so on. When budgets are under pressure, when families feel that their incomes aren't rising in real terms, you know, the challenge for aggressive politics is you can default either to quite an old-fashioned view of sort of left policy, which is just more tax, more spending. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's got one set of risks. You can default to a new type of uh, progressive politics, which is around identity. But I think that also has big risks because the right wing can play that game and often play it more successfully than the left. And so, you know, the question is, what is it that is a unifying message for a, a country where you need an active government, you know, which is always the, the, the hallmark of, of the progressives because they believe in the power of government to be able to better people and, and to, 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 to empower them. You know, that is, that's the 21st century mission for progressive politics, in my view, and anything else is is going to be secondary to the real world event of that revolution. Mm -hmm. 
it's a, it's a lot to wrap your <laughs> a lot to wrap your head around. But the potential, I agree, is is there. I, I mean, I think what we're seeing is a bit of this rise of populism uh, in in many parts of the world, coming from this place of anxiety. But it's being fueled also by this by the technology and the technological revolution, the the capacity to to spread messages and to um, provoke and influence debate in countries where you're you may not even be located, but you're you're interfering from from other borders. Um, you know, how do we how do we respond to that anxiety and and try to really lean on the positive side of the opportunity in this equation? Well, there are two separate things. I mean, there's first of all the use of technology to disrupt the democratic process and you've got to get after that and yeah. deal with it as, as best you can. The secondly, people's fears about technology. But my point is if you're having that debate, you're you're in a place which is a real-world debate and which progressives have got a good argument. And the thing with populism, because, you know, it's... Populism to me is, you've got to be careful as to how you define it, right? Populism is not politicians wanting to be popular, because I think that's quite a general general sentiment. Populism to me is when, rather than try and deal with the grievance, you exploit it. And you exploit it, you ride the anger rather than provide the answer. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, in my view, populism does not usually invent the grievance, it exploits it. And the challenge for progressives is you've got to recognize the grievance exists and deal with it. Mm-hmm. And you've got to be prepared. You know, I think we were saying this before we came in here. I was saying politics, you always get to decide the answer, but you don't always get to decide the questions. Right. So if, for example, the public is posing to you a question on immigration, you know, and I own Canada, you're a, it's a different type of debate, but if they're, if they're posing that question to you, you've got to be able to answer it. If you don't have an answer for it, you, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. And likewise with things, anything that affects personal security, you know, crime or antisocial behavior. So I always think it's really important for the progressives to be in a position where they've got an answer. Mm-hmm. If you don't have an answer, then that, that's when the populists um, succeed. Um, and it's also important always for progressive parties to stay competitive. Because, you know, our populist moment was the Brexit vote. Yes. And, I mean, you know, go into all of that. <laughs> One thing that I think is not so much appreciated about that was there might be one of the reasons it happened was because we didn't have a credible leadership of the Labour Party at that time. You know, had we had a credible leadership, like the leadership we got today, frankly, um, we would have had someone who was able to go into Labour areas and explain why they would be not sensible to vote for Brexit. But And therefore, one of the things that's always important for progressive parties is even if you're out of power, you've got to remain competitive. But to remain competitive in a world where populist, populism is, you know, and is fueled by social media, of course, right. you, you've got to be prepared to answer the difficult questions even when it hurts to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, and sometimes we want to talk about the things that are not necessarily connected to what folks are worried about, like the, the policy or the idea that we think is important is not necessarily reflective of the anxiety or the source of the anxiety in, in a way that matches. And I think for those of you who were here early this week, you missed the, you weren't here in the first presentation on the research this morning, but 
we talked about uh, Marcus and Hans and Amy about those messages and how to be ready to answer those questions. And it is, it seems to be a constant theme at these conversations of, of meeting that message of finding that message and meeting that anxiety with a progressive uh, lens and not being distracted by the, the populism or the message of, yeah, I know that is distracting us, even though the issue is there, there is a real issue behind that stress. And that's why you've got to be prepared to, to, to deal with it. And I, I also think, you know, in the end, look, it's a, you've got to have a strategy for your, for your campaigning, which, which has a, a play for defense against the issues where you may be vulnerable or where the public may not naturally believe that you're the best people to deal with an issue. Um, and then obviously you've got your offensive play, but you're going to, you know, you can't win the match if you let in the goals. We play a lot of hockey here too. We know a little bit about yeah. that. <laughs> Don't ask me about hockey. I, think I, I, I won't ask about, about hockey. Yeah. Um, so look, we just, at the outset, we, we talked about how, you know, I'm a newly elected member of parliament to a party that has been in government eight years, uh, here in Canada. And when you were eight years in, in power amidst, I would say, challenging domestic and global issues, you won a third majority government. And how did you do that at that time? <laughs> I kind of, I'd like to know. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, look. My thing is always, you've got to be the person with the plan. Yeah. I think it, you know, I sometimes say it's like, it's like, it's like driving the bus, right? If you're driving the bus at a reasonable speed, right? So you're moving along. The passengers are all complaining, by the way. They're all sitting there saying, well, I don't know, you should have taken that turning. And ah, that doesn't look too good to me. And where are we going exactly? And blah, blah, blah. But they know they're going, right? Uh -huh. They're moving. You slow down or worse, you stop the bus, you never get back on again, right? Because they're all, <laughs> then they decide just pull you out of the driver's seat with someone else. So you've got to be the person with the plan. And we were, you know, when you, you're, you're going several years in, you're not going to have the same enthusiasm as you did first time. Rather, that's just the, the way of it. You know, I remember on the, on the first night the, of getting elected um, those, those years ago, you know, there was massive enthusiasm that, and then I think I was one of the very few sober people in the entire uh, Labour Party because I was kind of thinking of this, you know, the responsibility of governing. I remember someone coming up to me and saying, you know, there's people doing these, uh, oh, it's fantastic, Tony, now everything is possible. And I was like, like what? I mean, <laughs> you know, everything's possible. So it's not real when that happens. Right. And therefore, as you carry on governing, okay, the, you're taking tough decisions when you decide, you divide, it's always going to be difficult. But in the end, if you have a clarity of direction, right, when you come into your later elections, they're not going to elect you because they love you, but they may elect you because they think there is a clear direction mm -hmm. and they prefer that direction to what is, to what is on, on offer from the alternative. And I do think it's, it's that, you know, you, I always used to say to people that I, the only time I, I would ever get frightened is if I saw a better idea coming, coming at me than the one that I had. Now, 
maybe I was completely wrong in thinking it, but I, I, I didn't think that when we fought that third election. I thought, no, we've still, we've got purpose, we've got drive, we know what we're doing. Uh, yes, of course, there are all sorts of things that are really difficult for us. But I think that's, that's my, my, my view is it's, because people are, are, are they, the electorate, and I think this is particularly true in an era of social media. I mean, I, social media wasn't really a factor when I was in office. And I, I really sympathize with political leaders who are operating in this environment today. Because one of the first things that you learn about politics is that those that shout loudest don't deserve to be heard most, right? But that's not social media, right? They're shouting all the time. Right? It's the platform of the loud crowd, frankly, to be honest. And it's a bit of a plague on modern politics as a result of that. But here's the paradox. At the same time as the public is, is engaged in it mm -hmm. and is, you know, making a lot of noise around the political leaders, they actually look for leaders that stand firm against that because in their heart of parts, whilst they may even indulge in it themselves, they still distrust it. Mm -hmm. They know what it is and what it isn't. And I do think that's why if you've got a plan and you're prepared to be really tough about it, mm -hmm. I think people do do follow that. At least, you know, uh, I've I, I found they did it that. The authenticity and the values um, well, in, it come through. Yeah, because in the end, then you, you're, you know, there is a direction and there's, there's, there's momentum. I, I would just like to thank you again for, for being here and for participating and for contributing through your institute to the work that's going on here today at Global Progress and around the world. It's, it's uh, truly yeah, you're, you're incredible. Parliament, first thing Monday. Monday. Yes. Good luck. <laughs> Thank you.